This is Cortez Radio, CKTZ 89.5 FM. The opinions you're about to hear belong to the people expressing them and are not necessarily shared by the Cortez Radio Society, its board, staff, volunteers, or membership. This radio broadcast was funded by a grant from the Community Radio Fund of Canada and the Government of Canada's Local Journalism Initiative. Once COVID started to settle in Canada and it was becoming clear that there were going to be some major changes, we're fortunate enough that Hollyhock made the decision to keep the garden running so that we could maintain it. There was a new greenhouse built here in the fall and through the winter. So I was planning on, you know, what perennials, what roses and clematis was I gonna put around the greenhouse to soften the space? You know, that's just out of the question now because um, there is no budget. So we shifted our focus away from flowers and into food production uh, with the idea that we could feed the staff who had lost their jobs due to the closure of programs at Hollyhock. I'm Roy Hales, and this is Cortez Currents. In a normal year, Cortez Island's best-known learning centre needs to take in about $3 million in revenue. 2020 has been anything but normal. As a result of COVID, most of this year's programs were cancelled, and Hollyhock could not rehire most of its usual staff. This has also been a year of innovations, with courses being offered online for the first time, and an all-day virtual Hollyhockathon called Shine the Light. The Cortez Island Center's response to this year's challenges almost amount to reinventing Hollyhock. Penelope Naldret is in charge of fundraising. Hollyhock will survive. There's no doubt about that. Has it been a disaster? Well, in some ways, yeah, I think we've gone from three plus million dollars in revenue to just under $300,000 in revenue, in earned revenue through our programming. So that's pretty catastrophic. (laughs) I think the hollyhock of the future will be different and what the world needs is different. But there's no doubt in my mind we'll always, that people will always gather um, at Hollyhock. And, and next year, you know, we're already planning for less people. So until this year, we were trying to fill the campus. You know, it would be good to have 80 to 100 people. And next year, it's less. We know in 2021, we won't be gathering in large groups. But we hope to be gathering in smaller groups. Program director Ling Lo, who lives within walking distance of the center, described the balance between being in a crisis mode and being super creative. It's been a really fine balance during this time to to kind of be in like crisis mitigation mode and figuring out how to survive and then getting into like really super creative space and thinking about okay, life, world, pandemic, this is the new set of conditions we have to work with. And so what can we do to have the best year possible given the constraints that we have? And like when I zoom out the lens and think about things on a broader scale that way, and I think about 
the team we've been able to keep, the culture we've been able to keep here, it's still a joyful place to be. It's still a joyful garden to walk through and you still hear laughter on the beach. People who are coming for staycations with their families, staying in our tent sites are writing these beautiful messages about just like being on this land and getting out into the community and swimming in the lake and visiting the co-op. And so there's that balance of like, okay, we got to, make this work and we got to provide employment in the stress of like sort of like the leadership responsibilities but then there's also like so much joy and easefulness and just like this new reality and and learning to go with the flow of that and i think i've just learned you know i was talking to a friend yesterday who runs her name's sarah crowell one of our presenters and she runs destiny arts in California and they've gone through so many changes also but we were talking about this idea of resilience and previous to this I thought of resilience as like strength and like having structure and like there was some like almost like a firmness or rigidity to it and she was like talking to me about resilience actually being more flexible and adaptable and that there was some like flexing and giving based on the conditions that you find yourself in, that's true resilience. And so like, yeah, that's what I'm bringing into the balance of this year, whatever it may bring. And, and next year is like our ability to flex and ebb and flow with the changes. I think that's good life medicine, good life wisdom as well. <laughs> We have traditionally been a program-driven center, meaning that the way the economics kind of break down is that there's a tuition revenue that comes in for the workshop, and that helps to pay presenters and um, help cover their room and meals when they're here. And then that also, of course, drives the accommodation and meals revenue that comes in for the organization. So round numbers, if a typical year is three million, about two and a half of that is connected to the program. And then Penelope and her good team helps us raise the rest of it so that we can break even and invest in program development and campus infrastructure and all the things that we need to keep this place running year to year. So 2020 was set up to be really quite a banner year for us. 2019 was one of the best years we've had um, on record actually and that was a combination of so many people's efforts. It sort of, Peter came on board in 2018. I started at the end of 2016. Penelope was here already and Andrea joined us, I guess at the start of last year, 2019. And so this team really started gelling and working together and you know breaking down silos that existed and so we had a really great year in terms of welcoming the number of guests that we did in 2019 and just the program vision that we had sort of birthed and and started moving forward with in 2017 was really starting to come to be and so 2020 was like working off all of that momentum we continued to stay really grounded in our roots as an organization with wisdom traditions, spiritual teachings, mindfulness, and leadership. And we started also growing out a lot of our social innovation programming around social justice, 
liberation and equity. And I will confess to a personal passion <laughs> of mine around race, racial justice and really making this space a safer space for non-white folks to come and enjoy this campus and to really like connect with the land as our program ha has always done. Land, nature, Clahoo's teachings. And so we were really excited about the program that was planned for 2020. It included a geopoetic symposium hosted by Erin Robinsong, who is the daughter of Siobhan Robinsong, one of our original founders. There was a lot of programs at the intersection, like playing in the intersection of artistry and activism and environmental climate justice and mindfulness. And I, you know, like Power of Hope was another one that we were really excited about. We were going to do an adult version of Power of Hope at the same time that the youth camp was happening at Linnea. So our dream would be that a family of four could come, the kids go to Power of Hope at Linnea and the parents have a Power of Hope experience. It was an 18 plus camp for adults that was supposed to happen here in July on our campus. So we were starting to think a lot more about family programming, and just welcoming it was the it was set to be a year where we welcomed the highest number of BIPOC so black indigenous people of color presenters and that we had like a lot of plans around like how that would play out on our campus cultural competency training with our staff and just like I said like this this idea of making this space really inclusive and welcoming for everyone has been like a real driving force for this team and for, you know, our predecessors as well. But it was just starting to come to fruition. Penelope Noldred. You know, we were looking before COVID hit in that first quarter, we were looking at what was going to probably, what was tracking to be our best year ever. We were tracking um, with our program registrations I believe it was 20% over last year. We had a fantastic lineup of, of programs and we've had to cancel all those. So if you measure it from the work we do, yeah, it's, it's been pretty catastrophic. Ling Lo. So there was a lot of dreams. I'll speak for myself and I think I can speak for the program team. There was a lot of grief in March when we started realizing that we had a lot of letting go to do for this year. We opened for the first time through the incredible work of Andrea Fisher, our campus director and her entire team, a limited campus opening, but opening just the tent sites, a couple accommodations, retail and body work, and of course the restaurant through takeout menu, this campus has never been opened in 38 years without program driving it. So there's, there's been no programming. So they did this limited opening to figure out all the health and safety protocols so that when we are able to gather again, when the borders open again, we actually have a lot of that protocol in place and we've tested and like just made sure that we had a good new safe process to host people again one of the gifts and one of the ways it's pushed us is into the virtual world and we've talked about it for many years um, as long as i've been there five years and i know they've talked about it before you know how to move hollyhock into a virtual space this year we were we were pushed to do it 
I'm thinking of one woman who came to Hollyhock 20 years ago and has never made it back. And just how thrilled she was to be able to join in from, I think she was just in Ontario, but still from Ontario to participate in a program and to connect with all these people in this, in this way. We started offering actually the virtual programming as an experiment by donation. We actually started offering it for free when all of this started because we were like, okay, there's so much change and so much uncertainty. What can we do to help people through this like really tumultuous time? We don't know how long this is going to go on for. So we started virtual programming a week after everything kind of went into lockdown and people stopped going into their office. So this would be the end of March and we were offering it for free. And lo and behold, we were really pleasantly surprised at the support that came in that as people registered to book in and get the zoom link, they started donating. There was this option to like, to donate. It was just like the, the standard kind of applic or registration process and people started donating. So then we realized, okay, so people are really getting something out of this. And then we just started putting out more and more free content. And then eventually we realized, okay, so if we actually, we keep the free stuff going because that is, you know, the maximum accessibility, everyone can join anyone who wants to just like touch in and have like a Hollyhock moment and we would always host those from somewhere different on the campus so people could see the garden and like you know various stages of bloom in the spring we started also designing um larger gatherings like our social venture institute went virtual through the work of our our lead producer laurel doe she at the start of the pandemic started redesigning that whole conference to go online and by the middle of April, we hosted a three-day SBI virtual. And so that helped to do a couple of things on the finances side. That brought in tuition revenue, yes. And we had like a tiered tuition. So again, accessibility was really important to us. But it also helped to secure a lot of the sponsorship dollars that had come in for the delivery of SBI 2020. We were able to still deliver content and bring the community together, but in a virtual space. So that helped to secure some of the sponsorship dollars that had come in and helped us sort of like preserve some of that funding. And that also helped us with cash flow and to stay afloat in the early days of this. We are continuing now as we go into the fall with paid programs and that's working with our 2020 presenters to adapt their content to virtual. We're not doing a ton of like really new things. We're just working with our existing presenters and um, helping them redesign, helping them with tech support for some virtual programs. And we're still doing some of the free offerings. Like we have um, a series on unpacking systemic racism. And that's been one, you know, through all the black liberation movement that's been happening all over the world, it seemed very timely for us to gather people and have conversations around that. So parallel path, we will bring in some revenue from virtual programming this year, but we will still um, finish the year in a deficit. And that's with, you know, you talked to Penelope already, that's with a very significant raise from our whole team, but led by the fundraising team. When COVID hit, we started to cancel our programming. We hadn't canceled the season at that time. We knew fundraising would be very necessary for this year. We also, at the time, knew that there's a lot of other organizations that needed support as well. 
So we paused our fundraising and then we sort of rethought it. And on summer solstice, we held a 10 hour virtual Holly Hackathon um, with the support of many of our presenters. A lot of people showed up to support that event in showing up online or giving their time to Hollyhock. And then many people, uh, our donors showed up from around the world. It was a 10 hour event, 600 people attended throughout the day at some point, over 600 people, over 650 people. Um, over 300 donations were made and we raised over $200,000 that day. I live here on Bowen Island and so I was one of the virtual support people. I wasn't on campus. Most of the donations coming in were $50, $100, and you know, really wonderful, but they, you know, they were trickling in and normally your larger gifts come from someone you know well than someone who I had not met, who was involved with Hollyhock a number of years ago, came forward with um, $5,000 which was a, you know, a big boost and, and sort of set, set a, a different pace. And then later there was a match offered um, and the same donor stepped up with another $10,000. Um, and there, you know, they were moved. Uh, there was no plan. We hadn't talked to them before. They were, they were simply moved by the experience of, of what we were offering and um, online and, uh, they spent the entire day with us. Uh, so they saw all the hiccups, because there were hiccups. Um, a streaming live from Cortez is not always easy. And uh, they got to experience some of our newer presenters and, and their wise words and, and some of our favorites, like Gan Mortify and longtime Hollyhock presenters. I think, well, actually that whole day was moving because people weren't just sharing their donations, they were sharing their love for Hollyhock. Um, and it was on this ongoing sort of stream in the chat as we streamed this live virtual event. That whole day, I think, is what really mo has moved me <laughs> this year. I mean, there's, you know, I can think of many other. I, yeah, yeah, I can think of many others. Uh, we did a little bit of work before the event talking to some of our historical major gift donors and, and just people who stepped out with, up without hesitation to give major, major gifts. That's a big boost uh, and it was a really wonderful event and lots of love and generosity for Hollyhock came through. We knew going in that we needed to raise $500,000 in 2020 just based on our initial forecasts of, of maintaining uh, sort of a smaller crew and operating Hollyhock in the way we've been operating. We knew we'd have to raise $500,000 and then we knew we'd have to raise another 500,000 before we open next April. So a million dollar raise <laughs> from April to April, and, and more than we've ever raised in a year. How are you doing overall? Well, um, we are coming, uh, we're closing in on our first $500,000. Um, uh, since March 1st, uh, we're, we're about $20,000 away from that goal. Um, and we're now sort of strategic planning is around how to raise the next 500,000. Um, we've seen an increase in individual donors. 
Um, but we've also typically Hollyhock raises a, almost 40% of our fund funds raised are from corporate sponsors um, supporting sometimes programs predominantly our, our uh, larger conferences and we haven't been able to hold any of those this year and we know that they're going to be modified for 2021 um, so now we're we're having to rethink fundraising model and uh, you know we hope to still have the support from some corporate sponsors and everything has changed strategically we are doing everything we can to insulate ourselves from having another 2020 experience in March and realizing at that point that the driver of our revenue being the programming was going to evaporate. And we don't want to be in that position again next year. We don't know if it's a second wave. We don't know when it'll be safe to welcome people to Cortez again. We're very conscious of not doing that too soon, even if the provincial regulations say it's safe to travel, all of that. This is a very special remote community with limited resources. And we completely understand that. And we don't want to be bringing people to this island before we're ready. And so the only way to do that is to, yes, we'll, we'll plan an in-person season, our IRL season, um, as it is standard, like a April to October, but we're also planning a 10-month virtual program season as well. So what's been interesting in this time when it, you know, just kind of like flipping the conversation to like generative and, and innovation, we've realized that we actually host virtual space really well and that we can still do a lot of the work, like transformational work really on, in a digital, on a digital platform. So we're going to continue to do that. So pandemic or no pandemic or, you know, who knows what's around the corner, we'll still be able to connect people. We'll still be able to have a viable revenue stream. And in that way we can be resilient as an organization, but also deliver impact on our mission as an organization. So those plans right now are just being baked, but we want to be prepared for, um, you know, maybe another year of uncertainty or, or longer, you know, we don't, we're all in it together, like the, the unknowing. If worst uh, case scenarios came true, uh, you could go for another year? I'm going to say yes. Like I do have confidence that we could, that this team could pull off another year. This team, this board and the staff that we have, we will be able to bring in a revenue stream from programming, regardless of whether things grind to a halt again. And then it'll be the good work of our fundraising team and our program team and us getting really innovative with expenses. I think we could go another year. I really do have confidence in this team to be able to do that. And, and you know, we live in a great country where there's government programs that help not-for-profits and small businesses. So if all that continues, um, it, it's been hard to not have the employment for the team that we usually have at this time of year. Like we're operating on a very slim staffing structure right now. So that's hard for employment reasons. That's hard for the people who are employed as well, just in terms of like running over capacity and constantly inventing new ways of doing things because nothing is typical about this year. So I hope that we're not looking at having this conversation August 18th, 2021. <laughs>
But I will say that we are preparing ourselves, we're insulating ourselves to, to survive and hopefully thrive, even if the worst case scenario happens. Did you have a final word you'd like? And you can also appeal for money if you want. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, Roy, your email and you were talking about community and fundraising on Cortez and I would just I just want to acknowledge that this is a tough year for Cortez I imagine I, tourism's down spending is down there's yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of organizations need support so I would encourage I don't know if you're writing this or this is going to be on the radio but I would encourage your readers or your listeners if they have the means to give to organizations that that matter to them um, if Hollyhock is one of those organizations, of course, uh, we would welcome your support. You can donate through our website, hollyhock.ca um, slash donate. Um, and I'll thank you in advance. But uh, this is an important year for philanthropy. There are a lot of organizations that are suffering, not receiving the funds they traditionally feel or receive. So... We all need that support. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. And thank you for speaking for other organizations as well. Yeah, there's some great work being done on Cortez to support um, the community, the forests. And uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. <laughs> I think that the food, you know, the food bank, the, the women's shelter. Um, yeah. You've been listening to interviews with Ling Lo and Penelope Naldrit from Hollyhock. There were also clips from Bill Weaver's video, There's Always Growth. This is Roy Hales with Cortez Currents. Goodbye. The garden is basically a reflection of life and death all the time because something new is emerging and another plant is dying back. So what helps me to stay resilient is an understanding that things may change, some things may die, but there's always growth. You cannot stop growth.